Hi, my name is Trevor O'Keefe, and I'm the pastor at Olive Branch Christian Fellowship. We're a Jesus-loving Bible church who are committed to studying the words of Jesus, walking in the ways of Jesus, and partnering in the mission of Jesus. Thanks for joining us on that journey today. I'm going to invite our reader to come up. Miss Ashlyn is going to read our passage, and again, it's in Galatians chapter 5. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. All right. Well, if I have not met you before, my name is Danny. I'm one of the pastors here at Olive Branch. And um, last week we had talked about the freedom that we have in Christ. Freedom to be who we were created to be. Freedom from guilt, freedom from sin, freedom from even death. Freedom of acceptance, freedom of identity, freedom of access to God, freedom of peace with God. And that freedom in Christ that we have leads to human flourishing, characterized by what the Bible calls fruit. And despite this freedom that we know we have, you might have been thinking to yourself, how do I experience more of that freedom? Right? We talk about freedom in Christ. Well, how do I experience more of that freedom? How do I do that? I'm not always experiencing a life of freedom. And the very fact that we ask that question and that Paul dives in and talks about uh, the struggle here for Christians reveals to us that we, we still have a, a sinful nature. It's still at work within us. Although Christ has set us free from the power of sin. There is still a residual sin nature within us that would pull us away from freedom, like a a car out of alignment, pulling itself to destruction. On one hand, we know we have new life in Jesus, yet on the other, we still battle with sin, and we experience it every day. And that's what we're talking about here in our passage today in Galatians. It's that battle within us, right? That battle between our new selves in Jesus, that freedom we have in Christ, and that old sin nature that still lingers within us. You know, and there's a, there's a battle every day in my own house, too. It's called bedtime. I have three kids. One of them is four years old. She's a little firecracker sometimes. And each night, this war rages in our house. 
about bedtime. In one corner stands the strong and powerful will of my four-year-old daughter, Vivian. And in the other, my emotionally drained, insufficient will. And it's a bit unfair because around 7 p.m., all of a sudden, my four-year-old daughter has this sudden wellspring of energy, right? This is time to go to sleep, and all of a sudden, I don't know where she gets it. But the Holy Spirit comes upon her, and she is excited and running around the house and stuff. And I, you know, it's 7 o'clock, so I'm ready myself to put on some sweats and get into bed practically. And it's a battle that I often lose. I typically don't have the strength to stand up against her powerful will. And so we continue this battle each day and likely will for the rest of eternity. Or at least until she turns 18 and I kick her out of the house. But there's also a war that rages within us as Christians, as Paul's talking about in our passage here. It's the battle between what Paul calls the flesh and the spirit. Again, Paul is using two contrasting ideas, two contrasting identities, the flesh and the spirit, that he says are opposed to each other. They're at war. And we'll see that he, he draws for us two lists in this passage to help us understand and characterize what, what the expressions of these two opponents are. If you're a list person, you're going to like this because there are two lists in this passage. And Paul's describing this battle. He actually also describes this battle in another passage in Romans 7 uh, that I'm going to read for you. We should have it up on the screen. In Romans 7, Paul says this, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Don't you just resonate with the internal struggle here? I know what I should be doing, but I can't do it. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. I love God, but there's another power within me that is at war. Even when we've turned our lives over to Christ, we still deal with that residual sin in our life. This remnant wages war against what Paul identifies as the Spirit. But wait a minute, so... So is that what the Christian life is then? Is that the whole story? This ongoing, continuous battle within us? Of course, no. The answer is no. Yes, that battle rages within us, but the Christian life is marked by victory, not by defeat. All of Scripture points us that direction. We are more than conquerors, it says in Romans 8. Everyone born of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith, it says in 1 John. And 1 Corinthians 15 says, But thank God he gives us victory 
over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Part of that freedom, that Christian freedom we talked about, is a life of victory, not of defeat. There will be a complete victory one day, right? There'll be a complete victory one day, just like someday my own personal family battle will come to an end one day. But even for us as Christians, one day we'll step fully into that victory when we are present with the Lord. But even for today, here, now, in our own lives, we can experience that victory. Yes, we're going to fail, and we're going to need God's grace over and over again. But we are overcomers in Christ Jesus. How do we do that? By the power and the person of the Holy Spirit. Let's talk more about these two opponents that Paul has contrast for us, the flesh and the spirit. Now, Paul uses the term the flesh, but of course, he's not talking about our physical bodies, right? Our physical flesh, although you might feel like there is a battle within your physical body, but Paul is not talking about our physical body here. We know this because the list we'll get into uh, doesn't really describe physical attributes. The flesh is what the Bible calls elsewhere our sinful nature. It's our old nature, our former way of life. It was our identity before we were redeemed by Christ, and part of it still remains until we meet the Lord in glory. It's the part of us that cries, I'm my own Savior. I can do this. I'm fine. It's what Paul would call the old man as compared to who we are in Christ, that is, the new man, the old man full of corruption and deceit and misplaced desires. But on the other hand, we have the Spirit, the Holy Spirit renewed heart within us. The sinful nature was there before we knew Christ, but now that wicked heart of ours has been been entered supernaturally by the Holy Spirit and begun a renewal that is now our new nature. The, the, The old man was who we were before Christ, but now we are made new, made new by God. We've experienced a rebirth in Christ. This is what the the Bible calls it, a rebirth, because we've been made new. We've been born again. Whereas our old self was characterized by a false sense of self-salvation, our new nature is characterized by a love for our Savior. All of us now as Christians have God's Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. These two are... At war, these are the two that are waging war within us, the flesh and the spirit. They're opposed to each other. The flesh is that sin-desiring part of us. The spirit is the God-desiring part of us. It's that part of us that cries out, I am saved by God. These two dueling natures really represent two opposing motivation systems within us. They have two opposing desires. One is motivated by self-salvation, the idea that I'm my own, I can do it on my own. The other is motivated by love for a Savior who saved me when I could not save myself. And that word desire that we see in verses 16 and 17, that word desire is really much stronger in the original language than it is in my English Bible here. 
If you're looking at a New King James Version, it might say lusts. It's really an over-desire, an inordinate desire, an all-controlling drive and longing. Verse 17 says, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. They're in opposition to each other. But it's interesting, at the end of verse 17, Paul kind of dangles this little carrot at the end. I don't know if you saw it. He says that the flesh will keep you from doing the things that you want to do. That's because a heart that has been renewed, right? We talked last week about a heart that's been circumcised by God, right? A heart that has been renewed, a, a life that has been redirected to Christ, wants Christ, This is the same as what Paul said in Romans 7, which we talked about earlier. We read it earlier. It says, I love God with all my heart, but there's another power within me. Right? When we've been renewed by God, Paul knows that in the deepest parts of him is a desire for more Jesus. The Spirit of God is at work. It's pointing him to his ultimate desire, which is God. That's what he really wants. And our flesh keeps us from that keeps us from living the life that God intended for us, the life of someone who is free, free in Christ. In Christ, we have life, and the flesh and its desires only point us towards death and destruction. So we have this battle within us, but it does not define us What do we do? How do we experience victory over our sin-desiring nature? How do we deal with the flesh in our life? When it comes to making a reality of our freedom from our flesh, Paul directs us to the Holy Spirit. Paul Paul says, where are we going to get this? He says, the Holy Spirit. Verse 16, the first verse in our section said, But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We are to walk by the Spirit. And again, in verse 18, he said, we are to be led by the Spirit. And again, in verse 25, he says, we live by the Spirit, and we keep in step with the Spirit. At the beginning of our section today, in the middle of our section, and at the very end, it is the Holy Spirit. Paul directs our attention to a life in the Spirit, led by, walking with, and in step. The Christian life begins with the gospel by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and the Christian life continues with the gospel and the Holy Spirit. This is what Paul was talking about back in chapter 3, if you think back many weeks ago when we were in chapter 3, about beginning in the Spirit and continuing in the Spirit. Walking in step with the Spirit is an ongoing thing for the believer. It, It should be a thing for all of us as believers to walk in the Spirit to be in step with the Spirit. <clears throat> the journey we are all on, and you know we're, we're all on a journey here, is going deeper and deeper into the character of Christ, and it's led by and alongside the Holy Spirit. And to understand how the Holy Spirit within us keeps us from gratifying the desires of our flesh, we must look to the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And even from our passage today, we see that the Holy Spirit does these things. He guides us, directs us, and gives us good desires. How does the Holy Spirit lead us and transform our desires? 
Several verses in John help us understand this, what the Holy Spirit does in our life. John 16, 8 says, When the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. In John 14, the Holy Spirit is called the helper who will teach us all things. In John 16, again, we read that the Holy Spirit will glorify Christ, for he will take what is Christ's and declare it to us. These verses reveal to us that the Holy Spirit shows us the difference between right and wrong. The Holy Spirit increasingly shows us God's will for our life, how to glorify Christ with our life. We also saw earlier in this very book in Galatians that the Holy Spirit works in us to cause our hearts to cry out to God, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit is revealing to us our true identity as sons and daughters of God. In other words, the Holy Spirit points us to Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit points us to Jesus. That's the role in the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. The Holy Spirit's main goal is to glorify Christ, to make Jesus beautiful. So life in this Holy Spirit continually reminds me of Christ's loveliness, of Christ's beauty that surpasses anything else in this world that I might look to. Jesus becomes more beautiful. That's that's the work of God's Spirit within us, is Jesus becomes more beautiful. The Spirit leads and we follow in step. This is the journey of growth we are all on as believers. If you have put your faith in Jesus, then we are to pay more and more attention to the Holy Spirit as he leads us in spiritual growth. Part of that work of the Holy Spirit, like we talked about from John 16, is the Holy Spirit helps us identify the works of the flesh, the difference between right and wrong right? He helps us identify the works of the flesh, which are destructive and lead to death. Verse 19 says, the works of the flesh are evident. They're very apparent. And he goes on to list several, 15, in fact, in that first list of the works of the flesh. And he even says, that's not all of them. In verse 21, uh, Paul says, and things like these, meaning I didn't even write them all down. There are more. And many commentators have put these 15 works of the flesh into categories. The first three that we read, sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality, they all deal with our sexuality. The next two, idolatry and sorcery, deal with religion. In this instance here, the way that the word idolatry, as it's paired to sorcery, points directly to the worship of a carved image. So the Religious practices that we would do to a false god in public, the public display of worship to a false god, and then also sorcery or witchcraft, the things that we would do in secret as well. After that comes eight things that directly deal with a breakdown in relationship. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. The last two, drunkenness and orgies, deal with, this, deal with substance abuse. The way it's used here is orgies is not sexual, but drinking orgies. It deals with substance abuse. 
And it's interesting if you've noticed through those categories there what most of those fall under, right? Most of those are relational failures, eight of them. I think it's helpful Paul lists so many in this category because these are the things that can be so subtle in our lives, right? Jealousy, envy, strife, and the like. What we see here, though, through this list is that it leaves no one out. It's at both who we would consider the irreligious, right? Drunkenness, immorality, but also the so-called religious with those subtle sins of envy and factions, enmity, etc. So let's not be so quick to think that this is a list defining other people. You might excuse yourself from thinking, well, I'm not practicing witchcraft, or I'm not sleeping around. That's true. But how many of us deal with anger or jealousy or envy? How quickly, also, when left to ourselves, would things like we read here become evident in our own life? But we're not left to ourselves. We have the Holy Spirit. What about that bit at the end of verse 21 that says, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. God's kingdom is a, a place of godliness and righteousness, and it's obviously that, obvious that these things would have no such place in the kingdom of God. And that the tense of the verb is, is a continual, habitual practice of those things. So, those who have the Holy Spirit in them are battling against the desires of the flesh of our old nature. So what do we do? We crucify it with its desires and passions. Let's read verse 24 together. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We see our sin for what it really is, deserving death. What Paul says in verse 24 might make you recall what Paul said back in chapter 2 where he said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ in me, which is very similar to what we read in what we read in Romans 6, 6, which says our old self was crucified with him, with Christ. And those passages back in chapter 2 and in Romans 6 are actually talking about something different than what we're reading here in verse 24. That speaks of something done to us, right? I have been crucified with Christ. This is what, in verse 24, is talking about something we do. Verse 24 carries with it the tone of Jesus' words, take up your cross and follow me. It's a continuous self-denial of the sin-desiring part in us that still remains. It's putting it on the cross. And let's remember what we know about crucifixion. Right? As we even approach Easter and everything, let's remember what we know about crucifixion. It's a ruthless death penalty reserved for the worst. A callous form of capital punishment. It was not pretty at all. And it was not an easy death either. Crucifixion was painful. And I don't think I'm carrying the analogy too far by saying putting our sin to death can be painful as well but we put it on the cross to die. One Scottish minister wrote, 
crucifixion produced death not suddenly but gradually. True Christians do not succeed in completely destroying the flesh while here below, but they have fixed it to the cross and are determined to keep it there till it expires. Those who would hang upon a cross were also watched over. They had guards and soldiers around them. Why? They did so so that none of their family or friends would take that person down from the cross and thus rescuing them. In the same way, I feel like we have to guard our hearts from grabbing those sins back down and pulling them back down from the cross. We need to make sure that we place our sins on the cross and guard ourselves that we don't bring them back down again. Jesus knew we would be tempted to do so, right? He told us to take up our cross daily. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This is Paul's graphic description of repentance, right? This is Repentance is, is that turning away from those sins and towards Jesus. And remember, repenting is more than just an avoidance of sin. It's turning away from it to something more lovely and more beautiful. The gospel addresses the root of the issue, Without the gospel truth confronting our sin, we're only going to be managing symptoms of our sins. If we don't get the root out, right? If I don't get that root out, my continual journey with jealousy will only be fought with me trying not to be a jealous person anymore. And you're like, oh, how's that going for you, Danny? Not great, you know? But instead, I need to realize the deeper idolatry of my heart that causes jealousy to rise up within me, or envy, or dissension, or drunkenness, or whatever. I need to nail it to the cross. Repentance is pulling the sin out by the root and replacing it with the truth of Jesus. The Bible says repent. And what is the outcome? The Bible tells us that times of refreshing The times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. From where? From the presence of the Lord. We get more Jesus when we repent. Right? Remember we talked about the desires of our heart and our true desire? More Jesus. Repentance is to reject utterly and with finality the sin in our lives that keeps us from what our heart's true desire is. That is Christ. So Paul reminds us to crucify the flesh. Some of you might be thinking that since we just read verse 24 that I skipped over the most famous section, most famous verses in this section. I didn't skip it. We're going to go back to it right now. Let's read. I'm going to read for you verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Outside of the gospel and the spirit, every effort to live a life that even even just remotely looks like the list we just read is going to come out of fear or obligation. In other words, we're just going to be trying harder all the time to be more patient. If only I could be more patient. But when our affections are upon Jesus, the natural outcome is that we become people of character. 
Think about the analogy Paul draws with using this agricultural language. He calls these things fruit. They happen automatically for any tree or bush that is healthy. Like a good Californian, um, or es- I live in Escondido, so Escondidan. Like a good Escondidan, I have an avocado tree in my backyard. Um, and it's a big thing, and it, it does what an avocado tree does. It makes avocados. It can't help but making avocados. It makes so many avocados, we can't even eat them all. And that's saying a lot because we are Californians and we can eat a lot of avocados. It makes so many avocados and it just does it. I don't even water the thing. Um, I mean, God's doing a lot of watering for us right now. But um, it doesn't try to make the fruit, right? It's not struggling. It's not working at it. A healthy tree just produces fruit. All a branch has to do in order for an avocado to appear is remain connected. Your minds should easily think of Jesus' words in John 15, very familiar to us. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing Growth in these things is not accomplished by trying, but by abiding. That leads to growth, which produces the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. The work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to make us more and more into the likeness and character of Jesus, our vine, as it says in uh, John 15. And I've never known God to give someone Christ-like character right away all at once. It seems to happen gradually in the life of the believer. And sometimes there might be moments and times of greater growth and times of slower growth. But it is that, it's that process. It's that journey that we're all on. It's a transformational process. It's what we call freedom. As we grow in the things of Jesus and as our hearts turn more and more to Jesus. And of course, this doesn't mean that Growth isn't without times of pain or times of effort. But growth in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit is a liberating transformational experience. Several commentators have recognized three general groupings for the fruit of the Spirit. The first, love, joy, and peace. The first three portray really an attitude towards God. Remember, he is our deepest love. Our deepest love is for Jesus. He is also the source of our joy and our deepest peace, love, joy, and peace. The second triad, uh, patience, kindness, goodness. It's hard to say those three without starting with love, joy, peace. Um, Patience, kindness, and goodness represent our orientations towards each other, right? Patience, kindness, goodness. Boy, if there was ever... If there was one grouping that challenges me personally, patience, kindness, and goodness. Finally, the the third triad, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, show us attitudes of self, our reliability, our humility, our composure. Our growth is meant to show that these attributes are increasingly natural byproducts of our spiritual maturation. We can easily do good works. We can have moments of patience without really 
displaying the fruit of the Spirit. And let us, caution, let us be cautioned against trying to manufacture patience, more patience in our life without letting the Holy Spirit of God grow in us and letting them become natural byproducts of our life, of abiding in Jesus. Growing in these things is growing into our true selves, who we're created to be. It's growing into that freedom of our identity in Jesus Christ as a son or daughter of God. And what's What's more is my new nature longs for these things, more of Christ, right? We saw that at the end of verse 17. But remember Paul's lament in Romans 7. He says, I cannot do what I want to do. By myself, I cannot. Thus, I need the Holy Spirit. Thus, I need more of Jesus. Thus, I need to abide in him. I need the Holy Spirit to lead me to Jesus. I need to walk with him. I need to be in step with him, allowing him to continually redirect my eyes from the things of this world towards Jesus, towards the wonder of my Savior. Remember that the fruit of the Spirit that we read here, these nine things, are all really grouped as one in this passage. When we grow spiritually, we're to grow in them all. You might be more naturally predisposed to one or two of these things listed. You might have a, a natural temperament for joy in your life. You're just a bubbly person and you know, smiles all the time. Who are you? But all of these traits are to be growing in us, growing in our lives to reveal the work of the Holy Spirit. Love goes along with kindness, goes along with patience, goes along with goodness. All of them working together. The sp spiritual growth, it, it is, it's a journey, right? And we might all be finding ourselves challenged by different things from this list of the fruit of the Spirit, right? Your heart might skip a beat when it talks about patience. That's one for me. I have kids, so it's like patience. But maybe for you, it's, it's self-control or gentleness or faithfulness or whatever. But we need to remember that we all have the same spirit within us. The same Holy Spirit dwells in each of us, it tells us in 1 Corinthians. He is there to, to lead us, to guide us to show us Jesus, to direct our affections to Jesus. And the Bible talks about how that since that we've been given new life in Christ to set our minds on that which is above. We can do so through times of daily times of prayer and reflection, God's word. Right? If you're not currently spending time in God's word, I desperately encourage you to spend time in God's word. You can do that with, with times of, of silence where in the busyness of our world, we take moment to slow down, to quiet ourselves, to listen so that we can keep in step with the Holy Spirit. And I'll say that is challenging in our world today. Culture pushes up against that. Times of slowing, times of silence. But we need to do that to remind ourselves of who God is and who we are. 
in him. That we can abide in Christ, abiding in Jesus and allowing the spirit, his spirit to transform us. That things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, that those things start becoming natural byproducts of a, of a life that is abiding in Christ. And as it, as it ends here, Paul ends this section that we're in here with verse 25. Verse 25 says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Right? Keep in step with the Spirit. In some ways, walking with the Holy Spirit is going to cause us to slow down in certain areas of our life. Right? We're walking with the Holy Spirit. That's been challenging for me personally, of course. But I know that the Holy Spirit is working in me to redirect my affections towards Christ. Because without the Holy Spirit in me doing that, I'm like a car that's out of alignment. I'm pulling towards self-destruction. But I have God's Spirit within me to direct me, to reorient me back to Jesus, to make him more lovely and more beautiful than anything else that I might put my eyes to in this world, that I could abide in him. Since we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let's keep walking with him. Let me pray for us. Lord God, thank you, Father, that... You have given us your Holy Spirit. Your Holy Spirit leads us. Your Holy Spirit guides us, directs us, and shows us more of your Son, Jesus. Lord, help our affections be turned to you this day. God, help us grow in you, Father. Help us learn to abide in you, God that your fruit might become natural byproducts of a life that is hidden within Jesus. God, help us to be worshipers of you, not trying to manufacture good works, Lord, but that your Holy Spirit would be working within us. God, we invite you to do that work, Lord. God, we thank you, Father, for your promises and your goodness. Lord, thank you that your faithfulness is who you are, God. Lord, and it's your goodness that leads us to repentance. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you again for listening to the Olive Branch Christian Fellowship Podcast. For more information about our church, go to olivebranchcf.org.